Are you tired and fed up with the same old, same old religion? Do you know that Jesus himself is pursuing you? He knows you. He is in love with you. He wants an intimate and personal relationship with you. And he wants to spend time with you. We live in the land of plenty, yet we are starving. We're kept busy by every activity known to man, yet we are always craving more and never satisfied. That is because that hunger can only be satisfied in God alone. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. When you come to his table, you will discover he is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. He is able to save you, to establish you, and to keep you from falling. He is able to present you without fault, to make all grace abound toward you, to deliver you, and to protect you. Everything in this meal has been made available to you and me free of charge, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Talk about good news. Join us each week as we share real-life encounters with Jesus and chew on the Word of God one-on-one with our Savior. If you are hungry and thirsty to really know Him, or if you struggle with understanding the Bible, the greatest love letter of all, then this podcast is for you. No need to dress up, just come to the table, just as you are, and have a meal with the Master. Hello, and thank you for joining me on the Meals with the Master podcast today. I am so excited. I have a brand new laptop. My laptop crashed a couple weeks ago, and I finally am all set up again to record a new episode on the Meals with the Master podcast. Today's episode is entitled, The Greatest Case of Heartburn Ever. You know, it really wasn't until I began to see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament scriptures in the cultural context of ancient Israel that my vision and understanding of him really began to change and my heart began to burn for him. Jesus is in every book, every page, every word, every pause, every punctuation mark, literally everywhere. He can be found all throughout the Old Testament. And so I'm excited today to jump into Luke 24. We're going to start at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Imagine, you are these disciples. You've been following Jesus throughout his ministry. You've been watching his miracles, seeing his compassion, amazed by his authority and teaching. And then witnessing the horrific flogging, torture, and crucifixion. He was supposed to be the one who would set them free from the Roman oppression. Their Messiah, their Savior. But more than that, he was their friend. They had dropped everything to follow him. He served and loved them like no one else. And now he was dead. Now it was over, or so it seemed. These two disciples were about to get one of the most famous episodes of heartburn ever. They were depressed and sad and confused and hopeless. They walked a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus himself, resurrected from the dead, just casually joins them on their walk, inquiring why they are so downcast. They didn't recognize him. God does have a sense of humor, doesn't he? All their expectations were over. Jesus was supposed to redeem Israel. He was supposed to be their conquering Messiah, and he was crucified and slain. So what about the Lion of Judah? If Jesus was dead, then there was no hope. Their vision was still clouded by their earthly perspective. A lot of people didn't recognize him after the resurrection. Mary thought he was a gardener, and on the beach in Galilee, his disciples didn't recognize him at first. Their eyes were restrained, the Bible says. They were kept from recognizing him. Have you ever thought, what is keeping you from recognizing the presence of God that is right there in front of your face? I think back to how many times I couldn't see his miracles because I was too focused on the mess. Or how many times I couldn't experience the joy in the journey because I was so focused on getting out of the circumstances. Or how many times during discouragement or a trial I couldn't see God's heart because I was too angry at what his hands were doing or not doing on my behalf. These two disciples started talking about Jesus in the past tense. They believed and expressed their honest opinions. They thought it was over. God allowed them the space to do this. Take a moment. If you are struggling, share your doubts your anger, your frustration, your hurt, or anything else with God. Shake your fist at him if you need to. It's okay. He understands. But then stop, listen to him, and allow him to pour out his love and grace and mercy upon you and to restore you and renew your faith and your trust in him and his word. He doesn't reveal himself by sight to these disciples at first. He reveals himself orally through hearing because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Verse 25 says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow, the first discourse that Jesus gives after the resurrection was an exposition of biblical prophecy all about him. 
to be a fly on the wall and to have listened to that amazing sermon. He would take them back to Genesis 3.15 to remind them that a seed was going to be born that will crush the head of the serpent. And then in Genesis 22 to remind them when Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. The words, take now your son and your only son Isaac, whom you love, would ring in their ears. He would teach them that the very first time that love was used in the scriptures was used of a father sacrificing his only son on the exact same mountain that Jesus was just sacrificed. He would remind them he was born of the tribe of Judah, just like it said in Genesis 49, 10. Oh, and how about Exodus 12, the first Passover? He was the Passover lamb who would shed his blood for the sins of the world. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. He would then expound upon all the Levitical sacrifices, the tabernacle layout, the articles in the tabernacle, all being a shadow of him. Or how about the beautiful love story of redemption as he would tell them through the feasts of Israel, all being fulfilled in him. And Numbers 21, spoken of in John 3:14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He would talk about Psalm 22, which had a detailed description of death by crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. His hands and feet would be pierced. His garments would be torn. Lots cast for them, that his bones would not be broken. And I'm sure he brought them back to Isaiah and to the details of his suffering, that he would be born of a virgin, work miracles, be wounded and bruised, crucified with thieves, and buried in a rich man's tomb. Or how about in Micah, that he would be born in Bethlehem? Or Zechariah, that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, that his side would be pierced and he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver? Everything they had just witnessed for themselves. And on and on he would say, this was all about me. It is the magnificent detail of these prophecies that mark the Bible as the inspired word of God. Only God could script this. Only God could foreknow and accomplish all that was written about Christ. This historical accuracy and reliability, along with archaeological evidence, sets the Bible apart from any other book on this planet. Over one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic literature. The Bible was written over 1,600 years, three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and about 40 authors, and yet it has a unified theme and message. The Bible was written from diverse places, Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah from a dungeon, Ezekiel from Babylon in captivity, Daniel from the palace in Susa, David in Jerusalem, Paul from prison and the mission fields, Luke from interviews and travel. It was written in times of war, peace, prosperity, and poverty, in joyous times, others in despair and sorrow. The Bible contains eyewitnesses' accounts, lots of them. The Bible contains law, history, poetry, and prophecies. It gives us accounts of wars and treaties and biographies and records of kings. It records accurate kings and dynasties and their chronological order. In the book of Daniel, there are events that are predicted 100 years, sometimes 1,000 years ahead of time. The prophecies speak of 400 years of slavery, 70 years in Babylon, and even King Cyrus's name was prophesied two centuries before he was even born. 
And let's just talk about the messianic prophecies about Jesus, hundreds of them, all fulfilled in Christ. If you want to know what is going on in this crazy world, read your Bible. God has revealed his plans and shared his truth with us throughout his word. He wants his church to be informed. Seek him. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you read and understand all that is going on in these last days. It will give you great hope and great encouragement. Sit down and have a meal with Ezekiel, with Daniel, with Amos, with Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, and of course Jesus himself. There truly is no excuse for not knowing the Word of God. In Revelation 1, verses 1 and 3, it says, This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Or Amos 3, 7, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. You know, it always kind of took me back that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus rebukes the disciples. But as I've gotten to know the heart of God, he wasn't being mean or condemning. He had compassion to meet them in their doubt and despair and to walk the dark road with them. He wanted to turn them around from their blindness by redirecting them to his promises. They had broken hearts and our Lord is truly compassionate and wants to walk us through those moments. He was compassionate to rebuke them for their earthly hopes when a much greater and higher hope had already been accomplished. It was necessary that Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. The eternal Son of God, the eternal Logos, who was in the beginning, the one who was with God and who was God, always had the glory there is to have. And yet, he took upon himself full humanity to redeem humanity and bring humanity to God. In his compassion for fallen humankind, he could only achieve this as a man after facing the cross. These disciples, however, did not yet have their eyes opened. Let's continue in the story. In verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. In order to make bread, the wheat has to be crushed. It's sieved and pounded and burned. All of this speaks of suffering, the same suffering that Jesus went through. He says in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. When you come to God's word, desiring to see Jesus, and you find him and behold him in the word, something really special happens to you. In Proverbs 
it says in chapter 4, verse 22, it says that God's words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Life is supernaturally imparted to you. The Bible is all about Jesus, but more specifically, it is about his loving sacrifice at Calvary. That red string that that runs through your Bible or scarlet thread, it represents the blood of Jesus and his death on the cross. His blood has cleansed us of every sin and his death has brought us abundant and everlasting life. From Genesis to Revelation, our Bible has one grand theme, our Lord Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. As Jesus taught about himself in the scriptures, it had a profound effect on these depressed and dejected disciples. Their hearts burned within them with the warmth of God's love as he showed them how the stories and the feasts and the laws and the Old Testament books were all talking about him and his sacrifice at Calvary. At the end of that life-producing Bible study, these disciples were no longer tired and confused and depressed. They were divinely uplifted and energized, and they walked the entire seven miles back to Jerusalem. When's the last time you walked 14 miles in sandals in the desert? That's what seeing Jesus in the word and receiving his life does to our bodies and to our souls. I can think of many times that I have been exhausted and had to go do a Bible study uh, or Bible teaching or, uh, you know, getting up early in the morning to, um, to go and, and uh, be on the worship team at church and how often we've come in so tired, physically tired and maybe even troubled or, or uh, concerned about things going on in our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a Christ-centered message or I listen to a Christ-centered worship song, and, and, and get my focus back on Jesus. I always leave feeling energized and uplifted and full of refreshment and renewal. Now, when I say see Jesus in the word, I don't mean actually seeing him in the flesh or just reading about him as you would read a, a, a novel. I mean, look for his goodness towards you. Don't just see that he healed people. Read about how he healed them. His manifold excellencies and his glories. And look especially for his perfect sacrifice for you. This is what makes reading the Bible an exciting adventure. There's so much life that he gives us. It's not about how many chapters you've read or how much Bible knowledge you've accumulated. It's all about seeing Jesus and having a personal encounter with him. When you open those scriptures, you are not only looking into the face of God, you're looking into the very heart of God, which is Jesus Christ. It's all about having an intimate relationship with him and receiving his generous supply of life. Take time this week. Seek God and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you in the word of God when you spend that time with him. I promise that you will be so blessed. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the Meals with the Master podcast. Be sure to visit our online ministry at www.eattheword.org, where you can connect with us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, blog, and more. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Be sure to come back next week for a new episode on the Meals with a Master podcast. Be blessed and have a beautiful week in the Lord.